0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Monday, all you whitetail freaks out there and hunting freaks and bow hunting freaks and anything. Uh, Man, I'm starting to see pictures of guys out west. With antelope and velvet mule deer, and even some of the western states already have elk season open. So the uh, the news feed is starting to show that there's a lot of people out there being successful, and this is what I love. I love not only doing podcasts about success stories, but I just love flipping through Facebook and other social media platforms. Uh, there's a new one. Um, what's it called? Uh, go wild I think it's like 100% for hunting anyway I love flipping through all that stuff and <laughs> looking at the success pictures man I I, I, I daydream about uh, other people's uh, I guess trophy photos uh, when, when I see a trophy photo posted I kind of imagine myself in that person's place so I want to go out and do all these hunts so I'm jacked um, I'm excited for my elk hunt uh, I'm pumped up for it, and uh, I'm like today I went on a four-mile hike with uh, I think it was like 75 pounds on my back. I went with my daughter, so it took a little bit longer, but she was a champ. She finished it, and by the time I got done with it, man, I was gassed. Uh, the legs are toast, uh, which is good. I mean, that's that's the training that you want to do is just wear the legs out and hope that when I get to 10,000 feet, they perform at. Some level, but uh, they won't, and I'll die. But at least I'll have fun dying. Anyway, <laughs> today's podcast, man, we are joined by a gentleman named Michael Michael Soberi, and he lives in Indiana. And last year, he had a one hell of a dream season. Uh, he went to North Carolina, shot a velvet buck. Then he made a trip out to Nebraska, shot a slammer mule deer. Then he makes a trip back home on a, on a piece of property that he has access to in Indiana and he shot a super slammer gagger whitetail uh, like 175 ish or something like that, man. That is—it's a giant, and you'll have to go to the Facebook page to check the pictures out uh, of his success last year. Um, I'm a little bit jealous. I'll be honest. I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, maybe I'm jealous because of his six weeks of vacation that he gets, or I'm jealous that he's probably just a better hunter than me. So, uh, one hell of a of a podcast today sharing. All the success from uh, Michael's 2017 season, and before we get into today's podcast, man, I really want to take a time to let you know how impressed I am with Ripcord arrow rests. Now, there's a lot of products out there who say they do certain things, and until you use them, you're not sure on whether or not that they follow through with their claims. I am very very hard on my hunting equipment. Dropping it, you know, beating it up, using it for years and probably probably not maintaining it the way I should and mud, ice, wet, everything. My I I I can say I've used their brand of products longer than any other product that I've used and it performs Every single time, so please go to ripcordarrowrest.com. Take some time, look at all the products they offer, and you know if you don't trust what I have to say, then don't trust what I have to say. But I am a huge fan of their their uh, rests, their air, drop away arrow rests. Uh, so go check their products out. That's all I'm going to say. Um, now it's time. For a hunter success story with Michael, God I can't even talk today, I'm so jacked up. It could be the coffee and exhaustion, so coffee plus exhaustion. Anyway, go check out today's, (laughs) okay okay, Johnson, get it together. Now we're going to do a podcast. (laughs) All right, on the podcast with me today, I am joined by Michael Soberai. How you doing man? Good. How are you, bud? I'm doing good. Doing good. Now, how this podcast came about is I actually reached out to you because uh, I, I guess we follow each other on Facebook or whatnot. And you posted a pick collage of all the deer that you've killed uh, from last year, all your archery kills. And I'm just like, man, that is one hell of a season. And uh, so I figured I'd uh, give you a call and uh, get you on the podcast. You said yes, and here we are. But... Before we get into today's podcast, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living?
1: Um, I'm originally from Florida, but I moved up to Indiana. I live in northwest Indiana,
0: right in the tri-state area where
1: Indiana Ohio and Michigan come together, and I'm an automotive mechanical engineer for a
0: living. Gotcha. So what does that entail?
1: Um, I design parts for anti-vibration systems for uh, Ford F one fifty trucks and several other trucks, and I pretty much help design the machines and help maintenance guys when they can't figure out uh, a mechanical issue with the machine. Wow!
0: So you design the part, and you kind of design the 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 machine that makes the part. Yep, exactly. Wow, that's pretty technical. Uh, did you have to go to like some special schooling for that? Yep,
1: yes. I went to college. I got a mechanical engineering degree, and then kind
0: of stuck up here nice 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 cool cool well last or so last season you had what a lot of people would call a dream season and i think what we'll do today is we'll just kind of we'll kick it off from in chronological order when it started and uh when it ended and the first picture i see here the deer has velvet antlers and that means it's got to be fairly early uh, to kill a buck with velvet ants, antlers. So uh, where did you kill this velvet, velvet antlered buck at? Uh, the first
1: velvet deer was in North Carolina, of all places.
0: North Carolina? Yes. <laughs> and now, when, pe- when people say, hey, let's go plan an out-of-state hunt, uh, they don't say, let's go to North Carolina. I mean, I've never heard it before. What, what's so special about North Carolina?
1: Um, it was one of those, where one of my good buddies lives in North Carolina and I, Facebook all places actually helped me get this up, the hunt set up there. I said, I dream of mine was to shoot a deer in full velvet. And he messaged, my buddy messaged me and said, come here North Carolina. He goes, we have big deer. And it took me a while just being hesitant just because like you said, North Carolina of all places,
0: but, right.
1: um, started going there. And the guy, my buddy was just sharing me trail cam pictures and started hunting there and just kind of fell in love with
0: it. Yeah. So what's the terrain like in North Carolina? I mean, what were you, when I think of North Carolina, I think of uh, Appalachian Mountains and I think of like pine forests. What uh, What was the terrain like?
1: It was a little bit of both of that, really. Um, I mean, the, the area I was hunting had, it had farmland, but it was big rolling hills with deep big pines so i mean and it was it's a little bit of everything and then there's there were certain other farms that were just flat oaks so i mean i it was a little bit of every type of terrain you could think of
0: cool cool so um it was on a a private farm right correct okay all right so you're, you, uh, you got in contact with your buddy he kind of helped you set the, the hunt up now what uh what date did you end up killing this deer on? I believe that was September 12th. September 12th. Okay, so really easy. When did when does the season start in North Carolina?
1: The second Saturday of September.
0: Okay, all right. So second Saturday of September, you shot your deer on... Um, the 12th of September. What, uh, I mean, were you su- uh, sitting over a food plot? Were you s- sitting in kind of a pinch point? Why don't you describe the location, uh, w- and why you were sitting in that location?
1: Um, in North Carolina, it's legal hunt over bait and a buddy baits these spots. So we were sitting over a corn piles. Okay. So, I mean, it, they- being early season, they were bedded really close to these bait piles that he had established out there, and kind of kept rotating through different bait piles. Um, with it being started the second Saturday of the of the September, a lot of the deer's velvet's are already starting to fall off. So we kind of had to jump at the main goal was to shoot a full deer, a deer full of velvet. So we kind of had to keep jumping properties just because the deer I was going after kept losing their velvet.
0: So it's one of those things where. Uh, you were, what were you doing? Just, uh, de- looking at trail camera pictures all the time. And I guess how many days, yeah, how many days were you down there hunting? Um, I think last year I was, there, I, think I was there for six days. Okay. So you were there six days and then, let's see, six days and you were bouncing around from, uh, basically bait pile to bait pile, checking trail cameras. And at, I mean, did you Correct. go in there and have a deer targeted, and then have to switch yes, off that, that deer. deer was
1: yes, I, I originally was going in after a really really big eight point. I was in full velvet, and actually seen him the first morning, but um, just they couldn't get a shot at him. And come the next day, he was he ended up being hard horned, and it just that kind of was the theme that every single deer I was going after, they had losing the velvet from the day I I was hunting them.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And then finally, uh, you ran into. Uh, you ran into this buck that still had his velvet. I mean, was this a target buck yeah. w- while you were down there, or was yeah. it just my goal is to shoot a velvet buck, and I don't care what it what it scores.
1: Nope, it, our goal is my goal every year is shoot a shoot a mature deer. Um, and this was one of the mature deers, but there were bigger deer that were just as old as he was that we were going after, and he was kind of one of the backburner deer just because I mean he was he was just full velvet, old six pointer that just never turned into
0: much yeah and i you know i can look at his head uh and his body and he's uh he's got a decent sized body what um what were the deer doing uh because you know sometimes i've talked you know i've talked to some guys um and they're like you know hunting over bait isn't as easy as everyone says it is you know or everyone thinks it is because you know the deer get smart and then they'll circle downwind of the bait pile and you know someone will get busted or so. So how did you hunt a bait pile? I've never done that before.
1: Actually, these deer are literally the hardest deer I've ever hunted in my life. I've traveled almost everywhere deer hunting. and These deer were just always so skittish, um, always circled downwind, always tried getting downwind. If, if any kind of little thing, movement or anything, they would scatter and take off running. So I mean, it it's always been a hard hunt. Every time, year I've gone there, this is actually the first bull velvet deer I've shot there
0: in okay. three or,
1: three or four years. Okay. So, um, this this is actually that first buck we were going, I was going for. I seen him coming in, and he circled, come, did a complete loop downwind of me, and got, got my got my downwind part of, and just did not come in afterwards. Knew something wasn't quite right. Wow. So and, they're they're not done. Yeah. No, not at all. Like I said, these deer, I mean, they know where these tree stands are at. They know where these bait piles are at. And my buddy, he rotates the bait piles and where the tree stands are every single year, just because these deer learn it. Right. I mean, it's, it's amazing how smart these deer were. I, when he was telling me we were hunting over a bait pile, I literally thought it was sit there and shoot, shoot a, a dumb deer. And it wasn't the case at all. Right. Like this deer, it was actually a morning sit, And I had deer on me all morning long, and I was waiting for this one deer to come in. I, I, I think at the point, I had five or six bucks in front of me feeding down the bait pile. And then he finally came in, and he knew something wasn't quite quite right. And I was constantly trying to get my bow drawn back on him, and every time I was just about ready to do it, he would take off running back into the woods and come back out, and, and it was just it was just, it was was stressful there. I mean, and finally the fourth time that he came back out was when he finally gave me a shot
0: opportunity. So they, they were hesitant to come into the bait pile because they knew, they just knew something was, wasn't right.
1: I, I I guess, I mean, the
0: wind was perfect and the,
1: the direction he came from, I, I didn't think he came, was able to get downwind of me. If I didn't, I mean, they all came out into the bait pile, but they just were so skittish, and it would constantly clear the bait pile every couple couple seconds.
0: Wow. It's probably because they've been hunted over bait before, huh? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, as this buck comes in, and it sounds like uh, he scattered, comes back, scattered, come back. Now, finally, as he's, you know, getting, I guess, co- somewhat comfortable at the bait pile, why don't you walk us through how the rest of that... Uh, that uh, encounter played out with you ultimately harvesting him?
1: Uh, When he finally came back out the last time, he said he had several other, he was in his bachelor group, so he had several other bucks with him, and I kept trying to wait until he was clear of these other deer, so I had a clear shot, and it just constantly seemed like a, a deer was in front of him, a deer was in front, and at that moment, they all scattered, and he took one bound real quick and stopped in the open there was nothing around had the I had the bow drawn back and it was a 23 yard shot and made a perfect double lung shot on him it just it was just one of those, he scattered it instead of fully clearing the, the opening that I had to shoot at he he stopped in it for once
0: <laughs> so you you honestly didn't even shoot this deer over bait yes I, I mean, I you I mean say, he came in I didn't but yeah he, he came in it's not like he was uh head down feeding in it right no no yeah okay wow no so just he he happened to stop in an opening that was 23 yards away from your stand and uh yeah you, you got yep. him exactly cool and
1: this was a super thick pine. even when he ran off i mean just because it's being pined i couldn't even hear him run off or anything it was crazy and so thick you had no clue which direction he went and
0: so, I mean, good shot, though. You were able to recover him fairly easy. It was
1: a good shot, and but it wasn't the greatest of blood trail. We actually walked by him. It's so thick down there, and we actually walked by him five or ten times and never never stood where he was at. And What he ended up doing was going out and doubling back up, and we walked by him multiple times, and we ended up getting a buddy who had a um, – attracting dog and the dog we actually forced the dog right by the deer again think, trying to get him to the last blood that we knew was at and the dog went crazy and we kind of ignored him trying to force him thinking he was trying to chase another deer and as soon as we put him in the start of blood trail he went right back and kept yanking him back and finally like maybe the deer's over there and we let the dog go and we went straight to him yeah. the deer only went 75 or 80 yards Yeah, but it's just so so thick in there that it. it you, we walked right by him and you had to virtually step on him, and he was
0: at man. That's awesome. Uh, so velvet, I mean, what, what's it, what's it like shooting a velvet deer? Is it any different than a hard horn deer or is it a completely unique experience? The, the tracking
1: or not the tracking, the carrying them out, getting them out of the woods is the hardest part because you obviously want to get it mounted with the velvet on. So you have to protect that. I mean, it's so fragile. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, we I end up buying one of the deer cards, but still I had to. I took my shirt off. I wrapped it, protected it, and you're trying to. It's so thick that it's hitting everything. So you're trying to make sure it doesn't hit everything, and it's hundred degrees out there. So you're burning up in sweat. So, wow.
0: Mean, so you, yeah. what was there any type of special care once you got them out into the woods? Because I've heard everything from, you know, put it on ice to inject it with uh, something. I talked to my
1: taxidermist, and he told me put it on ice, get it frozen if I can, and get it to him right away, and he'll handle everything else.
0: Gotcha. So, so is this taxidermist? Oh, he had a deep freeze. Okay.
1: So and my buddy had deep freezer. We doing a deep freezer, got it frozen. I threw in a cooler in back of my truck full of ice, and I went straight from North Carolina straight
0: to my taxidermist. So how how many miles is that? I know it's a ten-hour drive. Okay, ten-hour drive. So, were you getting nervous at all the, the time that it was in a cooler, or were you pretty confident that he was going to stay? He was going to stay cold in your cooler.
1: I was definitely nervous. I mean, every time I stopped to get gas, I would get back to checking. And it, I didn't feel the velvet slipping off or anything like that. So, I mean, I constantly checked. I actually was nervous, but it, it ended up ended up staying in a good condition the whole way through cool
0: man so once you get it to the taxi uh, taxidermist uh do you happen to know if they have to do any special type of care for it when they uh when they mount it i
1: bl- i believe my
0: taxidermist injects it injects it okay to, yes is it formaldehyde and from what
1: i understand is the big yes
0: from okay. what i
1: understand the basic thing is trying to get all the blood out and then get it injected or something along that line
0: gotcha man that's crazy is now from a from a cost standpoint was that an extra cost on that mount? yes yeah. yes it's an extra cost because it's more work for him to have to do gotcha how, how significant a uh, hundred dollars a hundred extra bucks okay all right yeah that's good to know um so is shooting a velvet buck something that you feel like you want to do every year or maybe now that you have one under your belt you're going to do something different
1: um i plan on making this trip north carolina every year i mean it's a, it's a it's a, it's a huge challenge to hunt these deer and i don't think it has to have to be a velvet deer like before my, my hit list would always constantly shrink because the deer are coming out of velvet right. so having to be a velvet deer won't be a mandatory now but, I mean, going down this North Carolina, it's it's such a blast to hunt a different type of deer, and just, it's a new challenge, learning the properties, learning where to set up, and you, you can't just throw a bait pile out in a single spot and hope the deer to come by. You have to find where they're bedding at, where they're normally moving through, so you kind of set it up to get them close to that area. Gotcha. So,
0: cool. Yeah. So, you were successful uh, first hunt of the year, North Carolina, then- after North Carolina, what was your next stop?
1: Uh, next stop was just hunting my local farms in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan.
0: Okay. Uh, so I
1: hunted I hunted there for a couple weeks there. Uh, Michigan, Ohio starts end of September there, so I, I get a little bit of a jump. Um, constantly checking trail cameras, seeing if I could get any, find a hit list deer. Um, last year was just one of those, most of my local farms just did not have what I was hoping to harvest. Yeah. So I kind of started getting on the phone, trying to set up hunts in other states, and trying to find other properties to hunt at because it just didn't happen what I was hoping to harvest in my local areas. Okay. And so, then the next trip was Nebraska.
0: Okay. So when you say, when you say you were looking for hit listers on on uh, you, do you have a lease or do you have own a farm? What's the story there?
1: Uh, I've got several properties I've got permission on, and then I've got a lease down in Southern Indiana.
0: Okay. All right, so those, your local, because uh, you said you live in northeast Indiana, uh, and it sounds like uh, they weren't showing you anything, uh, like anything worth chasing. No, I
1: just had several, exactly, I just had several, good three and a half and four and a half, but just nothing, that I was really hoping to harvest that season.
0: Okay, so uh, this, this lease in southern Indiana, is this like... Uh, property that you just wait until the rut to go hunt or do you ever make trips down there early season to maybe jump in a tree stand
1: once in a while i'll make trips down there but typically i wait till the rut just to leave it alone because it's a smaller lease that typically has hard hunting pressure all around it
0: gotcha all right so it's more of a strategy to stay out of there then correct okay correct it's, right. it's
1: just a it's all woods so, I mean, there's nowhere to get in and out without really
0: stressing or bothering the deer. So gotcha.
1: when you do hunt, the deer learn it. So I kind of just wait till the best opportunity time to hunt them.
0: Okay. So you hunted around home basically for a little while that, you know, there's nothing really to hunt as far as what you were looking for. So then you decided to make a trip out to Nebraska. Was this a last minute planning and preparation hunt or did you have this hunt planned?
1: I had this hunt planned. Um, I, I've been going there for the last five years now, so it's just something I go out there every single season. Okay. Kind of. I try to attack it during the October lull around here because the mule deer I seem to have great luck in finding them during that point. So it's right. a good good point to leave my property alone, not overpressure them, and go hunt somewhere else.
0: Gotcha. So, whereabouts in Nebraska uh, are you are you chasing these mule deer at? Uh, the Northwest region and the Sandhills. Sandhills. Um, and we talked a little bit about that in the in the intro. So, like, where I hunt, uh, where I've been hunting before, uh, is the southern part, I guess you would say, of the Sandhills region. And, uh, man, it is some absolutely gorgeous country out there.
1: Absolutely. And when I started going out there, I was all hesitant just knowing it was the Sandhills. I didn't know it was going to be as beautiful as it was.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely so no trees out there uh and and so it's completely different than hunting these whitetails that we're all used to in the uh midwest so talk to me first of first of all a little bit about how you know you've gone out there for the last five years and how you've kind of i don't know learned how to hunt these deer a completely different way because it's spot and stock out there so talk to us about that learning curve and then ultimately what you did to end up harvesting uh, this beautiful mule deer that you had
1: um it actually started the year before i went to nebraska um i actually went with an outfitter in kansas a mule deer tag in kansas and i went learned from him i mean he drove me around kind of taught me how mule deer behaved, what they did how to hunt them and um, Kansas just such a hard area hard state to draw a mule deer tag where in Nebraska you can get them over the counter mm-hmm. and finally started doing some after I realized I want to go and draw every single year in Kansas I started researching mm-hmm. Nebraska and kind of looked up local outfitters around there seeing where they're hunting kind of areas they're hunting and started studying maps online, um, picked out as many public land spots that looked good to me that had food around, good cover, some sort of cover around, anything just looked different that I thought would hold the deer and just started making trips out there. Um, first couple of trips I made out there were just to scout, um, during the off seasons, kind of learn the areas. And then, um, first two or three years I went out, I was successful but I learned constantly learned um, learning how to sneak up on them I, I know the first couple of years I kind of always you always watch the hunting shows that's kind of where you learn to do some of your hunts and you always see someone trying to grunt or get a mule deer to stand up and they always say they always stop and turn around and look and I tell you what every mule deer I saw it, I grunted it took off like a lightning bolt <laughs> and they never stopped to look back <laughs> <laughs> I oh, yeah, was so confused funny. and every time you watch, they always say the mule deer looks back and that was never the case. None of them ever looked back. Right. So right. It, I learned to set up on them and just be patient, wait till they stand up themselves.
0: All right. So the question I have for you is when I went out to Nebraska in the sand hills, I saw a lot of mule deer does. I saw some whitetail bucks and I saw white does, but I never saw one mule deer buck. Now, And that was in mid September or the second week of September. So my question, my question for you is how do you locate these mule deer in that, in that uh, terrain? During
1: that time period, you're going to see your mule deer does by themselves in the bucks in their own bachelor groups. Um, So I guess it depends on the time of the year that, on where you're going to find them at. Um, When I go, they're slowly starting to run up and try to herd up the does so when i'm during time frame i'm there you're looking for those does because that's typically where you'll find the bucks with them
0: okay all right and where where are these does and uh these does and these bucks at i mean from a, how far from the food are they is there a specific terrain feature that you're looking for
1: what I look for is food and find a biggest hill I can find in the area. uh all those are slowly rolling terrains, and these deer just disappear, so I try to be set up on some big hill areas that I can see a long ways coming from the food to figure out where they're where they're going and coming from and watch them for a day or two before I try setting up an ambush hunt on them
0: okay, so it sounds to me like you're you're doing a lot of glassing before you... Oh, yes. Okay, okay. A lot of glassing. Yes, absolutely. So what are the food sources out there?
1: Um, I know I'm still learning that. I know I've seen them eating a lot of in the wheat fields. Um, there are some wheat crop fields out there. And then they graze on all the grass and stuff that does grow out there. But the typical, the main, main food sources that I try to set up on are the
0: wheat fields. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So now uh, the question is: like, when you get out there, right? You've uh, like, what's the strategy then? Okay, you found. Let's say you found a food source, and you're trying. You're you're putting in your your time glassing. What are you doing when you locate uh, a buck that you want to go chase?
1: Once I locate a buck, I want to chase. It's watching. The exact trails they're going to where they're bedding at how long they're bedding for at these spots because these deer typically a lot of times they'll bed at a spot but then as the sun moves um like you said there's no trees there's very little shade there so as the sun moves they they constantly get up and shift to different beds okay so it's kind of figuring out exactly where they're bedding at or find a spot that they're walking by that i know i can hide and successfully get a shot at them but most of the time it's Figure out exactly where they're bedding at, multiple different beds, and setting up within bow range of those areas. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: So, are you so are you trying to get them on the move, or are you trying to get them in their bed?
1: Most times, I try to get them on their bed. Um, I've I've tried several times, still trying to figure out a way to get them on the move, but it's been so difficult, and they do kind of sort of change just slightly every once in a while which trails they walk to and from so it's a lot easier just get them in the bed
0: right okay so so is this one of those things where you get out there early in the morning and you're in a position to where you're, you're glassing them come off the food source and then what what are you doing from that point
1: um when i'm just i'm learning what they're doing once i've once I've watched them for a day or two, if they constantly do the same pattern, then the next day, I what I do is I actually set up as close as I can to where they're bedding at. Okay. And just wait for them to ambush them.
0: Okay. All right. So you're you're trying to get them into their be, in their bed, and then you. What did you do for this particular guy? Did you watch him bed down and then make a move?
1: This one, I set up in the areas where I thought they were bedding, and he ended up bedding. 100 yards away from there so I just sat there laying down waiting for him to put his head down and I saw, I completely circled around him trying to get set up and just slowly sneaking in um, came over the hill and right when I came over the hill he kind of caught some movement but wasn't sure what it was and he stood up and I was able to quickly get off a shot at him.
0: Gotcha okay so this was public land right? Yes, sir. All right. So, what uh, did you run into any other hunters out there while you were while you were chasing these deer?
1: Um, some years I do. Um, I think the, the harder thing about I've had experience out there is the cattle pressure. Okay. Um, the hunting pressure. Is typically, if you see someone set up on or parked right at some of these properties, I just completely bypass and go to another spot. It's the cattle pressure that seems to be. Well, really affects my, the deer movement that I've seen out there because how much they graze and the grass is where they hide at. So if they overgraze these pastures, it forces the deer to go somewhere else to go bad.
0: Okay. Now, do they have crop circles out there?
1: Yes. Okay. I, I guess, uh, you mean by what? sprinklers are sprayed
0: at yeah those big those big pivot sprinklers exactly yep yep okay and is that where a majority of the crop fields are are those big pivots yes okay all right cool so so when you you know now that you've been out to nebraska what this was your fifth year this last year was your fifth year yep okay this uh fifth year um was this your first time that you were successful uh, in all those trips, uh, second time, second time, okay, second time. All right. So, what was what was the caliber of deer uh, on your on the first time?
1: The first time I was successful there, it was a really really old deer that was on his downhill slide, and I think he only scored in one twenty.
0: Okay, one twenties. And I mean um,
1: he he had huge huge mass, but just in tall time, but it just wasn't. I don't. Know, I mean, you've seen how those old, bully, grumpy deer are. I mean, yeah, it's just he was just one of those deer. He had no no teeth. His head was huge,
0: over three hundred pounds. Wow, wow, yeah, it was. He was humongous. That would be awesome. All right, so so when you go out there, are you now looking for like what are you looking for as far as a caliber of deer? I. Because I, what I'm looking at this I, picture is a stud. I would consider that a stud mule deer.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I I don't I I don't know what exactly I'm looking for when I go out there. I mean I don't I don't see a lot of mule deer, so I kind of kind of picky, but I'm not. I guess. Yeah. I'm um, still trying to still trying to learn how to do this. So um, I look for a deer that looks mature to me. Um, I'm still I don't, still, like I said, still trying to learn even how to read a a mule deer. And I mean, these deer are so huge body wise, I I still have a hard time kind of aging them.
0: Right. Right. So then, the the quantity of deer when you're out there, what are the, I mean, are you just seeing a, a handful at a time or are you seeing a lot? Um,
1: I think this—that all goes back to the cattle pressure. Last year, I saw mule deers and bucks all over the place. Or two years ago, but then this past year, I might only saw seven mule deer in a week time frame. Really, i i, I, I think a large part of that is the, the cattle grazing pressure. I mean, I in the, the farm I sh- shot my mule deer two years ago, I saw mule deer all over that, and this year the cattle completely wiped out that property where it was just next to nothing there and i didn't see a single mule deer no tracks no nothing wow
0: okay all right so walk us through then uh i know you you mentioned it just a little bit but walk us through the actual the strategy and the actual harvest of this mule deer
1: um i i spotted this deer in the i believe it was the third day of the hunt and he was with two other mule deer that were really nice mule deer. Um, they were a little bit smaller than he were, was, and they had a group of seven does with them. And, and, I, I constantly would see him. I, I believe I knew what wheat bill he was coming from, but he was long away from that field by the time daylight was coming around. But I, I spotted him from a long ways away. And each day I kept moving a little bit closer, just kind of glass and figure out exactly where his bed net and, and, um, on the, on the third, third day of watching him, I kind of saw this big goalie where they all kept disappearing and bedding into. So that next morning I was out there, I was actually set up in the spot where he was bedding at two hours before he, before even daylight, just waiting for them to come on through. And maybe 45 minutes after daylight, I saw them start coming, coming my way. And for some reason that day they ended up stopping short of that goalie um, bedded down over off to another hillside. So I did a complete loop around and um, I thought they were further down in the goalie, but they were a lot closer up on top of that goal, uh, that hillside there. And as soon as I peeked up, I saw his antler tips there and I and Drew back because he started standing up and I guessed a shot at 35 yards and ended up being a perfect shot. And he hopped off and had no clue what happened and fell Maybe thirty, forty yards from
0: where I shot them. Wow. So how so? How far away? Okay. You went in there two hours early, and you were waiting for the sun to come up, and then you noticed them when you first saw them that morning. How far away were they from you? Uh, probably four or
1: five hundred yards away.
0: Okay. So you were in a position to where you? What were you doing? Watching them come off of a, the food source? Yes. Okay. Yep. Now. How far away was the food source from where you were at?
1: The food source was probably eight, nine hundred yards away from where I was set up at.
0: Okay, all right. So you were just catching them come back to bed then?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, cool. All right. So you ended up, uh, um, you ended up uh, getting uh, getting this this buck and uh, you looped all the way around and. Uh, What's it like? I mean, you shot a you shot a 120 incher, but this one's this one's much bigger. What's that like? Being able to change your setting, right? It's not a it's not a midwestern hunt. It's a mm-hmm. it's. I mean, I'm not going to call it a complete western hunt, but it is. I mean, it's a mule deer in a completely different environment, and then being successful after years of failure. What's that like?
1: Oh man, I walked up to him and I just stood next to, him just speechless, just staring at it. Um, I I knew he was a good mule deer. I didn't realize he was as big as he was. Um, part of the deceiving part of them is their ears are just so dang big that typically you see a white tail, they're they're out to the ears, they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty inches wide. Whereas this one is a lot wider and just. Like I, said, I just stood over him, just speechless how how big he was. I I didn't know he had the mass he did, the time length and. I didn't. I didn't know how big he was, and um, just kind of stood over for a while, and then, then finally, I just got. It just broke down, and everything. Called my, calling my buddies, telling them to tell, celebrating with them. Um, I typically go out on these trips solo there, so on the phone, it's kind of my a celebration moment with all my buddies there.
0: So this was a completely solo hunt on public ground, and you were successful. Yes, sir. Man, that's all. That's probably got to be a good feeling. So now that you're able to uh, harvest this buck, so it's what two years in a row of being successful. Correct. Okay. So it's. I mean, are you fairly confident that the next year you're you're going to be able to go out this upcoming year, you're going to be able to make this same trip and and be successful again?
1: Uh, I'd like to say that, but. I still feel like I'm so new into learning how to hunt these meal deer right. that I can't. Um, and there's there's just so much there's just so many limiting factors there. Like I said, the cattle pressure it, it, being so far away from there, I, I don't know exactly what the cattle are doing. So I have to try to pick out so many spots before I get there. That right. It's I w- if I, if they were on the same same properties or kind of same areas, I say I could say yes, but hunt two different farms each year. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so hard to say yes on something like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a bucket list hunt of mine is to do exactly what you did and, uh, be able to chase mule deer in, in that, even that type of terrain as well. Uh, I just, man, I envy you in a, in a way. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: just, I'm just lucky
1: sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Very humble as well. Now, you're, I mean, so you shot a velvet buck, check. You went out to uh, Nebraska, shot a slammer muley, check. But your season's not over because you, you know, the, you head back home, right? And I'm sure you probably hunted uh, close to home off and on a little bit. And, um, oh, I forgot about the mule deer. What date did you harvest this mule deer on? Oof. Mid it was mid October though, mid October yeah. Okay, what was the temperature um, out there? Just curious.
1: I actually got lucky and timed the cold front just perfect. I guess um, it
0: was in, it was in the in mid sixties. Okay, as a high. Gotcha. So. all right. So now we're talking whitetails again. We're back. We're back in Indiana. When do you typically start? I mean, do you have like a rut vacation that you take every year? Yes.
1: Yes. Um, I, I try to start off October 25th and I, I hunt till November 15th.
0: Wow. Buddy, you take a big chunk.
1: <laughs> oh, I do. Absolutely. Um, work. My, my boss knows I'm a huge outdoorsman. So we try to schedule all my projects and I do extra hours all during the off season. so right. I could take off so much during the hunt season.
0: Right. Right. And I'll tell you what, man, it, it's, it's, busting your ass for for the guys who hear that you know twenty fifth to the fifteenth every year, they say, Oh man, that's three whole weeks of uh of hunting, yep, it is three whole weeks, but I have a feeling that you you bust your ass at home being a husband and daddy uh and put in all the time there and at work that allows you to take these trips and take that time off, yes,
1: yeah, so I'm fortunate to have a pretty amazing um wife over here that take care of the kids there so um same way with her i tell her give me a list of honey to-do list before hunting season i'll make sure i have all that done uh try to schedule family vacations we actually just came back this morning from a vacation family vacation so um try to schedule all that so keep it i try to keep everyone happy and try to give them all as much time as possible because then once hunting season comes i'm traveling there
0: yeah absolutely so on on this farm in southern Indiana, um, how many acres is it? Uh, Eighty. Eighty acres. Okay. So, did you go there right away? Because based off the picture, I'm looking at the background, a lot of green, a lot of uh, like fallish type colors. Was this? Did you shoot this buck in October? No, it was actually. November 2nd, I believe it was. Okay. All right. November 2nd. And how many days have you been hunting on that property before this guy? And did you know that this guy was in the neighborhood? It was the first day. The first day.
1: The first day, the first sit on this farm. for this season.
0: <laughs> I hate your guts, dude. <laughs> I hate your guts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I when I came back from vacation I hunted Ohio quite a bit and Michigan, um trying to check all cameras, trying to see if anything was
0: new was moving
1: through or any of that stuff. And it just it was it just wasn't happening on any of my farms. So I said I'm heading down and we'll see what happens and it, it yeah, it it was i i luck was on my side that morning right right okay
0: i mean it was,
1: i brought i brought the stand in the steps and that hung it hung and shot Right. Nice.
0: so it was a it was a hang and hunt right right there first day yes sir okay so the question i mean d- did you have him on trail camera did you check any trail cameras to know that that deer was in the area so like were you going in specifically for him I was
1: not going in for him. He I did have him on camera. I didn't know it until after I shot him and then checked the cameras. So
0: but did you yeah, did you even I, I check went, your trail cameras on that property before you started I had, hunting?
1: I had he I had pictures of him October 20th and but I hadn't checked the cameras since early October. Um it's about a 6 hour, five about 5 hour drive for me there so i don't get that much opportunity to go out there and check cameras so um, when i got there to that morning and said check cameras first i wanted to try to get a hunt in being that it was november 2nd i hung a, hung a set in this this big oak flat that had a big nice saddle of them it's really hilly down there and he come by chasing a doe that morning
0: okay and uh, just like that <laughs>
1: It literally was just like that. I I got set. I mean, I knew I was gonna make noise. So same situations, I get I get I get there so early. I like hang the set, give give the woods an hour or two to calm down, and pretty much as soon as I got set up in the dark, I heard a buck chasing a doe, and it come flying by me, and the moon bright was pretty bright that that point. I think it was three quarters four or something like that, and he come chasing the doe right by me, and all morning long he kept chasing, chasing and chasing and I was just waiting for legal shooting time to even I I couldn't tell what he was, just waiting for legal shooting time and finally it was getting close and I told myself, If he comes by again I'm gonna hopefully get a shot here and of course he doesn't come by anymore. Um I got nervous there thinking that he'd have chased her off the off the property or somewhere else and about nine thirty he come by chasing her one more time.
0: And, and he, well, I mean, describe the setup. I, I want to know like the type of terrain uh, that you were sitting uh, sitting on.
1: Um, this was a big, this a big almost. I'm call it a mountainous hill. was so big that's on there, and it just had a big saddle right there, and, um, and a saddle with a bunch of oak oak trees all around it, and it kind of just kind of funneled them between the big hillsides there.
0: Right. Right. And, uh, and it just, so how many deer did you see that uh, morning? Just that one doe and that one buck? Uh,
1: no, I saw four or five does. And then I saw
0: two, two, two and a half
1: and a couple year and a half old bucks.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And then when, when legal shooting light happened, how long from, you know, when it got light to when he ultimately you, th- you feel that he came back with chasing this doe?
1: Uh, two or three hours.
0: I mean, I kept hearing bucks chasing does
1: down on the far side of the hillside there next to me, but he never came back through toward me. Um, so, And then it kind of got quiet down. I'm guessing that they bedded down over there and took a nap or whatever. And two or three hours later after sunrise is when he came back through.
0: So let me see November second somewhere around nine thirty yep, nope. wow, man that's awesome <laughs> dude do you yeah have, th- that's a that's an amazing that's an amazing buck so just for everybody who's listening um what did that buck score i uh, scored right at one seventy five <sighs> jesus is that is that the biggest white tail you've ever shot? Oh,
1: absolutely by a long shot. By a long shot. Uh, Jesus. I think before that was a, was a one sixty one.
0: Okay, okay, man, that is a giant. And what is he? He's a mainframe ten with a split. Or is he yes, a nine? Mainframe ten with a split G two. He's a ten with a split G two. Ten with a split G two. Okay, man, that's awesome. One seventy five. That's a, a very beautiful buck. What uh, what do you, what do you think he was for an age? Because he looks old.
1: Uh I believe he was five and a half.
0: Five and a half. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So knowing what you know now about that that farm, how how long have you had that lease?
1: Uh three years now.
0: Okay, three years. Are there any other deer on that property that you're looking to chase uh this year?
1: Yes. I got a picture of a deer bigger and bigger than the deer I harvested this past year.
0: <laughs> you and and yeah. are you going to do the same exact thing wait until like that that late october early november time frame to jump back in and go after him again um i'm not sure yet because i gotta keep an eye on drill
1: cameras but i'm getting pictures i'm gonna get pictures of him this summer yeah so i mean if if he's if he's still gonna be moving during daylight during the summer um he said i know he's bedded really close to his feed field here so i mean if he it's it's soybeans. If soybeans are still green, I might try going after them early. Gotcha. If not, I mean, then I'll, I'll wait till the rut.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, now, what do you got planned for this upcoming year? This upcoming season?
1: Uh, this upcoming season, I'm going to start off in North Carolina once again.
0: Um, yeah, I'm going after
1: mid-140s, upper-150s, nine-pointer. Okay. <laughs> Where you got this hitless buck for there. Um then I'm gonna run I'm gonna come back in my Ohio farm has got a I got a shooter on there that I definitely wanna to try to go after this season so I'll probably go after him late September. And then once again run back to Nebraska. Try to go after another mule deer. How many days do you stay um, in Nebraska? I I plan on ten days is what I take Vacation time for on that trip.
0: Okay, ten days. All right, cool all right so 10 days um in nebraska and then and then what
1: and then i'll come back and start hunting in ohio michigan again uh,
0: gotcha so gotcha.
1: all my other hunts will be for other kind of other species i've got a trip to arkansas for snow geese a trip to florida for a gator
0: oh really yes sir cool cool so uh what's i mean what's what are some of your bucket list hunts? I'm just kind of curious. I mean, you, you, you bounce around a lot. It's, I mean, it seems like you, you put a lot of time and energy and money into, you know, traveling places to hunt. Uh, what are some of the other places that you, maybe either you're collecting preference points for, or you're planning, uh, for right now? Uh,
1: right now I'm working on trying to set up
0: a hunt in New Zealand
1: for red stag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's just like when I asked that, I thought your answer might be, well, I'm going to go elk hunting in this state, or I'm going to go shoot a mule deer in this state. Not a 5,000-mile trip. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I've,
1: I've done some good. I've done some elk hunts in New Mexico. Actually, the first year I went elk hunting in New Mexico, I was going after a bull over 400 inches Jesus. on public land. Wow i got footage of it wasn't able to harvest them, but yeah, I've, I've done elk hunt, so I had a red stag and a black bear the next two items I'm hoping to harvest.
0: Wow. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, let me uh, be the first to wish you good luck this upcoming season on on all those trips, and, and maybe you can hop back on the uh, podcast again to uh, uh, share some more success from this upcoming season.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: And there you have it. Huge shout out to Michael, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and share those awesome success stories with us. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonix, Hunter Safety Systems, man. Uh, Guys, please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen and download all of these podcasts, man. Keep an eye out for some some additional content coming through the Sportsman's Nation uh, in September. Uh, we got one for sure. Uh, we got another one maybe. And uh, man, I'm just really excited where all this is going. If you haven't already, please go to uh, iTunes and leave a review. Then while you're on the internet, go to Facebook, Facebook, And like not only the Sportsman's Nation, but Nine Finger Chronicles. Then go to Instagram and do the same thing. Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles. Like, follow, comment. Um, It's a community, you know. uh, Especially on the Nine Finger Chronicles, I do a lot of community type work. Uh, What I mean by that is I ask questions. I'm interactive with all the people. I like to know what you guys have to say because... You know, I like to know what's going on and what gear to use. So, all that, all that, all that. And then, what else? I think that's it. That's where I'm going to leave it. Oh, if you haven't had the opportunity, go buy the Nine Finger Nation t shirt at bustedrack.com. It will have money that is generated by your purchase and that a portion of that money will go to the qdma i'm going to be donating uh, some of that money to the qdma so that's a reason to buy that t-shirt other than that have a good week be safe and if you're going to be in a tree our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good week
1: Thank you.